Behold, trapped in a hellscape of their own invention, socially unaware old white men bound by the pretense of being fake lawyers yet knowing no law, no exquisite Latin terminology, they are inexplicably compelled to quibble over minutia, squabble over triflings and bicker like those who value their backyards far too highly without even knowing the difference between an easement and an alleyway. At this very moment, you have entered the heart of the law offices of quibble, squabble and bicker. Let's get started. Welcome to another edition of the Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker on this August 11th, 2021. Today we have an incredibly special guest. His name is Michael Stein. He is uh, the original Dirk Diggler from the uh, sh from Boogie Nights, but before it was Boogie Nights. Uh, he also uh, owns a multi-million dollar tarp business. And if you're in the Oregon area, you know that somebody's buying those because they're all over the streets. And um, also, he is a documentary. He's a filmmaker and a comedian. And he also uh, hosts a podcast called Longshot Leaders, which you can find at longshotleaders.com. And uh, he may or may not be helping us with our client later on today. And our client for today, everybody, is Fruit Equals Betrayal. And uh, that's a, one of my personal issues that we'll, we'll talk about later. But for now, um, we, we have a sponsor for today. It's a not very well thought out sponsor, everybody. It's basically um, one that I'm about to make up right now. So this sponsor is My Leg Has a Weird Twitch Air Spray. So, not hairspray, but airspray, you know, the things you clean your computers with. So that's the sponsor for today, everybody, and I'm sure I'll forget it in about a minute and a half. But um, Michael Stein, let's talk about... Was that off the for... top of your head just now? Yes, right now I just came My up leg has a Twitch hairspray. That's uh, <laughs> That sounds like they got a big budget. It is. <laughs> keeping, keeping this uh, production alive. It is. It's last keeping week, Greg's made, hair on his head. Last week I made a soundtrack on a guitar for mine. And I thought about it for two days and wrote it down. And you come up with that. Come on. <laughs> what? Have I ever said that I put any thought into the things that I do? No. I don't. Both you guys anyway. look like you just, you know, go through a stream of consciousness, especially the, Greg over here. This is essentially what yeah. this is. This is I'm uh, drowning in the stream of unconsciousness. We're trying to talk to our guest, Greg, so leave me alone. Do it. Strength, strength. <laughs> yes. Michael Stein. So I, I'm my biggest curiosity is why you went into a tarp business to finance your films. Um, what what made you cho choose that particular occupation? It takes place in 1968, before I was born, or I, just after I was born. My dad's had a business partner. His name was Alan Smith, and they were in a tool business, and it wasn't doing well. My dad went off to go sell calculators. He made millions of dollars, and then a few years after that, he became homeless again for the reckless lifestyle. But that guy, Alan Smith, created a business in 1975 called Harbor Freight, and this was the beginning lesson. Harbor Freight is like a publicly traded company for those that don't know what that company is. It's a big tool company. And I just saw this rich man, poor man thing. And by the time the internet came out, to flash forward to when I knew I wanted to do something on the internet, I heard that there, you know, somebody which if they niche down for a specialty item, they can make a lot of money. And I, and my dad's like, well, why don't you sell drill bits or sell brace of wheels? You know, like Harbor Freight, you know, because my dad went back in the tool business after he lost all the money you know, from that calculator business. And I said, yeah, I want to pick out an item. You know, if you ever go to like a hardware store, you know, tarps. And I thought, you know, this is something that is simple. It has a lot of applications. It's colorful and people will always need them. And also um, 
I was a nightclub promoter and I used to donate, you know, canned food to the homeless people. If you came to my club, one of my big clubs, and you donated canned food for the homeless, you got it for half price. So I said, I could donate tarps to the homeless. And that kind of fits into the thing that I was doing for many years in the nightclub business. I just, all the, all the things fit. I wish there was something truly romantic that I could tell you, but it was that, that's, that's what really sparked it. And I said, I'm going to do that. And it just clicked. So do they, use your tarps? did they use your tarps in the movie American Psycho when they were like wrapping up the dead bodies? <laughs> no, that, I think that was just before my business started. But uh, uh, what's, um, God, what's a, uh, uh, directed the Batman, uh, Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. uh, he bought a lot of our canvas tarps for uh, one of the Batman movies. Oh, that's kind of an interesting uh, tie-in because in your um, your bio, it talks about how you promoted the 1989 Batman. So I didn't you, even think of that. You're yeah. like connected to Batman in a couple of different layers. Yeah. The, you, well, yeah. The, uh, Greg, you had a question? Oh, I was going to say, how did you promote the 1989 Batman movie? I did not well, read this. Well, that was, in, that was Tim Burton. You know, okay, so... Um, my girlfriend uh, in 1988 uh, was uh, Peter Gruber's daughter, and I was uh, like a fish out of water. Peter uh, whose daughter? Peter Gruber. He he famous produced, producer. Yeah, okay. very good, Greg. I he thought he was somebody who produced peanuts uh, or something. <laughs> Batman. He he won the Academy Award for producing Rain Man the year before, and uh, pretty much anything with the name Man in it, he produced. No, he, we he produced a, a lot of big hit movies. He was the most powerful man in Hollywood that time. And uh, he was getting uh, bought out by um, uh, Sony, uh, Columbia Pictures, a big takeover. So this Batman movie's coming out. It's going to be a huge thing. It's, it, before that, it was like Adam West. You know, it was like it was not like a big franchise it is today, but it was going to be it was a big rumbling, you know, Jack Nicholson and all this. So this is in December. I go up to the, the movie came out in June. It was a big summer blockbuster. And I'm a fish out of water. I just, you know, I'm, I'm from Encino. I grew up a poor kid in a rich neighborhood. So I've been around, used to being around being poor and being around rich people, but going to Bel Air and then Peter Goober and then taking private Learjet to Aspen with his family, that was like crazy. And I was really feeling, you know, like, you know, fish out of water. And then we go out to lunch, you know, the first day and I see uh, Chris Peters, John Peters' son, who is, Peter Gruber's partner, who was the producer partner on Batman, Rain Man. It was his par producing partner. And we went to high school together. We were acquaintances. And he says, what have you been up to? I said, I've been promoting nightclubs. He said, I said, what have you been up to? He goes, I want to get into promoting nightclubs. And I said, that's it. That's all I need to know. We sat down, his those two families together. When you know I was a 20-year-old kid, I was confident. And I took the floor and I came up with a concept. It's like, Let's do a big event the biggest venue in Los Angeles for, for nightclubs, the Park Plaza Hotel, which fits 4,000 people, and do a big party for the Batman movie coming out in June. And two weeks later, lo and behold, I am in, in Warner Brothers with the head of advertising and Chris and I, we're producing this, probably the biggest movie promotional event for a movie nightclub promotional event ever. I can't think of any 4,000 people at a nightclub promoting a movie. You know, it's crazy. An interesting, it was a big production. I can go on and on. I mean, there was a record label called Delicious Vinyl. Matt Dyke, who's now dead, uh, passed away. He, um, his uh, Tone Loke and Young MC, though, that was his record label. He was my DJ at that party. There's just so many layers to that event and so many stars and so many 
promotional aspects about it that were unique, but uh, that's uh, my Reader's Digest version of the Batman party. So now your main focus, is that specifically on your business or is it you're really trying to make a go out of your podcast right now? Because that, that just started like a few months ago. The, I started uh, in March. Um, okay. My main business is, uh, you know, I do both. You know, um, I'm kind of like, I'm like, I never really thought I'd have to do one thing or another to choose that. A kind of, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends, he is a New York Times bestseller on leveraging, on outsourcing. And through the, through the teachings of him, Davin Michaels, I'm able to really kind of adopt podcasting, which uh, is not my bigger moneymaker. My big moneymaker is my business, Abadak, uh, Harsh Plus, you know. So basically, Abadak Inc. is the breadwinner, and my podcast is my passion, and um, it gets growing. And I don't see podcasting as being a time restrictive as maybe for other people, because I could, I could afford to, you know, I don't edit my own shows and I don't do my own graphics and I promote it myself. I like to do my own, but that's what I do for my own company is marketing. Right. And so when did you decide to get into the whole podcasting field based upon, I mean, cause earlier filmmaking was your thing. And so when did that kind of fade away? Well, um, was it after love Hollywood style? Yeah. So I'll, you have to kind of go back to where it starts in the beginning. So I, you know, things generally wanted, start at the beginning. That's true. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, yeah. so I do a podcast called, I'll give you the reader's digest version here. I do a podcast called long shot leaders for a reason. I come from a long line of long shots. My grandmother escaped the Russian concentration concentration camps. I told you my dad was homeless, you know, and that happened to him. And I was not a planned child. Uh, my mom, you know, would tell people, you know, everybody, she's like, I drank, I smoked, I ran up and down the stairs, you know, I'm like, mom, they just want to know if you want ranch or blue cheese. Can you just give them the order? You know? And I grew up hearing about how I'm lucky to be alive and all that. So I was a basket case. And then little by little, you know, I, I had a success. I made people laugh, either laughing at me or whatever. And then I had the second success I had was showing, I was seeing the movie Rocky, like most young kids. And I was a really unhealthy kid. I was, you know, I had ADHD, ADD, dyslexia. I had a stutter. I, w I had poor health. But I saw that movie and I said, here's a guy like me. He's, you know, he's not successful. He keeps on trying though. But, and he's funny. The only difference between him and myself is that he, you know, is healthy. He's physically fit. So every day since then, I became physically fit. And by the time I was 16, I was a physical fitness trainer. And I said, you know, I could do anything now even though nobody thinks I could still do anything, you know? And so I started doing stand-up comedy when I was 19. And I told my high school tutor, I said, I'm going to become an entrepreneur, an actor, and a comedian. She's like, you know, you should think about working with your hands because not everybody's meant to do what they want to do. And I said, well, screw you. And the day after I graduated high school, I started a tool company to be like my dad, that guy Harbor Freight. And I failed miserably like two weeks later. And I said, you well, failed. Shit. Well, how can you call it a failure in two weeks though? I mean, you know, two weeks. You're 18. It's yeah. summer. You just graduated right. high school. You want to go to the beach, but you're sitting in your parents' house trying to like, you know, on the phone, try to make phone sales. And I got ADHD still, and I'm going out of my freaking mind. So, <laughs> so in like, two weeks, a two week failure. Yeah. I don't know if you can call, chalk that up to failure so much as boredom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I made two sales within the first hour and That's then I great. didn't make it. Yeah. Nothing else. I was, I was just oh, I the not first hour. It. It just wasn't going to be a good fit, you know, right, I sitting in it. so I 
took a city course, city college courses. I, I took, you know, drama, psychology, and business. Within six months, you know, after I did stand-up comedy, I brought a lot of people there. And it was a good set. And I said, you know, if I could do this, I could bring people to nightclubs. And nightclubs were booming in the early, in the mid, uh, it was the late 80s. And I started promoting nightclubs. And within the next six months, I became the number one nightclub promoter in Los Angeles for my age bracket because I think because of that hyper attitude and I love people. And that's how I segued into the Batman party. And then I, through the Batman party, that same girlfriend I had, I met a guy who was dating her, his, her sister. And he was Paul Thomas Anderson, who eventually would direct Boogie Nights. And he, I drove him home one night. He didn't have a car. He said, you, you know, can you drive me home? And I said, yeah. So I cracked him up. I had a rolling, you know, you ever have somebody, you, the more they laugh, the more you just, you know, you're like, oh, you know, I want to get the nose, through, uh, the, 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 the <laughs> orange juice through your nose now. You know what I mean? I really want to, you know, so I was just rolling. And he, two days later, he calls me up and says, you know what? I'm doing, I want to do a short film about the rise and fall of a porn star named Dirk Diggler. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> So, and that's when you actually did what your con- counselor said, which is now work with your hands. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and you're because it's porn. I don't know if this is a G-rated show or, but anyway. No, no, know, this is this is definitely for fucking kids. Okay, um, great. <laughs> well, well, you definitely, you know, it was it older was, kids, a real porno thing, but it was it, it was like a cross between Spinal Tap and Boogie Nights, you know. So it was a, it was a short film, did really well, and. From there, I, wa- I saw him be successful. And I said, you know, I want to be, you know, finally do this. Want to be, I could see it happening for somebody. Uh, you know, it can work. So I wanted to be an actor and a filmmaker. So I started to, um, you know, I wanted to do a documentary on the night, LA nightclub scene because I figured I'm promoting. Might as well kind of segue, not waste my, you know, kind of leverage my time, right? You know, squeak into that. And I, once again, I packed the Park Plaza Hotel where I did the Batman movie. A year later, I did another 4,000 people by a, directing a documentary on the history of LA clubs. And I said, you know, I gotta, I gotta do this deeper. So then the, the rave scene was like going bigger. So then I did a documentary on the history of raves and house music hmm. and that failed though financially. And I said, you know, I gotta learn how to be a better filmmaker maybe because I saw my friend, you know, he was you know, doing well. So I, I left the, the um, I started doing underground gambling casinos <laughs> and I, and I left that business because I said, I can't, do the casinos and the clubs it's not my overall goal so i'm just going to become a production assistant well, plus isn't underground gambling like illegal in california you know you think it would be but we <laughs> we were doing a you know the mondrian hotel you ever hear that hotel no nah, but i'll just it's, pretend like i did okay yeah, yeah. so it's a huge it was a wonderful hotel. hotel i went there hundreds of times okay well, it was maybe the hyatt it was we we're on hyatt it was on sunset boulevard and we had like it's supposed to be like hotel suites joined together, maybe a 90 people. It was like 150 people inside, 300 people outside on the Sunset Boulevard. West Hollywood police get there. They bust us and said, you know what? You do this again in West Hollywood, you're going to jail. But we got like 20 minutes to like gather up everything, uh, gambling tables, everything, and we're out of there. This is before that movie, Molly's Game. And we still did it though, in, in Hollywood and like, you know, West LA. And I so had- was Toby Maguire at your uh, gambling tables? Um, I don't remember Toby being there, but there was a lot okay. of stars there. I mean, Rodney, okay. I mean, I have a picture of Rodney Dangerfield, David Lee Roth, and Pee Wee Herman. That, <laughs> Whoa. And I, yeah, that's out of the club. I got, if you go to my Facebook page, you see that. <laughs> so long story short though, is that I stopped because when we kept on doing it, uh, I got approached by some guy that owned a bar that was loosely related to the Castellano family. And he took Uh-oh. pride 
on wanting to be our partner and he wouldn't take no for an answer. And I said, well, I'm done. So I said, look, man, I just want to be an actor. I don't want to deal with this shit. That's it. Yeah, that's the right time to be to retire from <laughs> yeah, the underground choice. Very prudent. gambling. So it's, so it's like somebody with a nose to, to the side it. says, I want to be a partner. Right. So um, I, I became a production assistant. I worked in film production for three years. And I learned the ins and outs of filmmaking through working on commercials because you learn the beginning and end and middle and end of a film production really fast. And you work with the best, the best. So by then I was able to do, uh, get, you know, um, get favors, get some money together that I saved and other people promised me money. And I did a film, an award-winning short film, half hour drama called um, uh, Rituals and Resolutions. It made the second pass the live action short category for the Academy Awards. It won Oberhausen and Palm Springs and got by HBO. Got me close to a movie deal. With, I met with Jill Silver's office. I met with Trimark Pictures. Trimark Pictures was going to make a script that I wrote about gambling casinos in Los Angeles. Right? And after two years of development hell, I said, screw this. I can't handle this anymore. Hollywood is like just full of red tape, full of bullshitters. I'm going to make my own movie, but I'm not going to make the gambling movie because that's the one that you want to make. I'm going to make a movie that I want to make badly that nobody wants to, to make that nobody would ever let me make, which is a, about four intertwining stories about love and dysfunction in Hollywood. And I called it Love Hollywood Style. You know, I, I think I saw that movie because I was watching the trailer earlier today and I'm like, this seems very familiar to me. You know, but, but you have a lot of incredible, uh, incredibly talented character actors in that movie. Yeah, you know, well, like, we got a two-time Academy Award winner, Faye Dunaway, also. You know, right. it was just, it got huge. It was like, you know, I, I first just wanted to do like a small film, a small feature. You know, I was going to be like Robert Rodriguez and give blood and do it for $6,000, you know, with El Mariachi, you know, that famous story from the 90s that he did. Right. But, right. you know, the, the budget got bigger. And now I'm like, you know, I wanted a woman to play God. And who else other than Mommy Dearest? <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I think what what hurt your movie was having Andy Dick in a leading role, though. <laughs> he uh, he's a special guy. He is a he, special guy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's an eclectic cast, no doubt. You know, Andy yeah. Dick was perfect for the role that he played, though, because I was I wanted Don DeLuise, but he was dead. So it's hard to prop him up for that type yeah. of thing. Gonna... We'll have some smelling salt. And some... You could be a weekend at Bernie's part three. You right. have him like sitting there in limestone so that he doesn't rot. So uh, Andy Dick plays a porno director. And I kind of like, you know, like the director in um, Blazing Saddles. But, you know, a porno director, you know, that kind of wanted that kind of character. And I couldn't think of anybody else better than Andy for that. You know, so that's why Andy Dick was so perfect for, the, for that role. But he's really nutty. How was he on the set? Was he a nightmare? I hear he can be very temperamental. He was fun on the set. Okay, here's a story. So I, I built this big hell set you know, in a big warehouse. And he, he then you know, says, well, I want to use that set too. I said, no problem. Just, you know, and I'm a business guy also, though. I started my business. You know, I forgot to tell you the reason why I was able to make this film. I started this tarp business. And within six months, I made a half a million dollars. And that gave me the money to make the movie. So... I, I almost bought him out the business, spending it on this, you know, money on this movie. But Andy, I, I built this elaborate set at, at, a, at a warehouse. And Andy's like, I want to do like this. And he ended up doing this film. I want to do a hell set. My 
documentary film thing too. Can you keep that you know, set you know, open for a while? I said, yeah, no problem. But then we had to break it down because we were paying rent. So then the day comes, he's totally unorganized. He doesn't call me, you know, and then two days go by, three days go by. A couple of days ago after that, he goes, I want to do it today. I'm like, okay, well, we're breaking it down today. Andy, I don't know what you want me to do. And he goes, well, don't break it down. Don't break it. I'm like, okay, most people get there at like six in the morning, right? Because they're going to shoot all day. He doesn't get there until four o'clock by, by like 2 a.m., 2 p.m. I'm like, guys, you got to break it down. They start breaking it down. He gets there. He calls me up. He goes, Michael Stein, you're fucking me. You're fucking me. You don't want me to have a health set because you had a health set in your movie. You're totally fucking with it. Andy, I love you. What do you, why? I, I, I thought you were going to flake. I, you know, we have, I told you it's getting broken down today. You're fucking me. He's, he's whacked out of his mind. So I, that was the last time I talked to him. Oh, no, but we had a scene at the end of the movie that we had to ha- bring everybody back in a bar because we had a tracking shot to, shoot, to, to pass everybody in the film. And I had somebody call them and said, Michael wants to know if you can be there on the last day to shoot. He goes, yeah, tell him I'll fucking do it when I get my fucking hell set. (laughs) (laughs) When the hell set freezes over, that's when. That's right. That's nice. Touche. So when you did PA work, did you do work on the early Paul Thomas Anderson movies? Like, were you on Hard Eight? No, no, no. Paul and I were friends. Uh, I I was working on commercials. I didn't want to work on movies because, first of all, you don't get paid as much. Part eight was a low budget, more of a low budget film. And I wanted to be in Paul's movies. I didn't want to be a PA in his movies. So I was like, screw it. But also when I was, I was starting to get work in commercial production, you get paid twice as much per day. You get per diem. You work with, you know, I mean, I already knew Paul and the, uh, you know, a lot of the lower budget movies, you know, it's just like, it's a, it's a long haul as a PA working in, in features. Um, and I kind of already, you know, when you work in commercials, you work with the best DPs, you know, everybody's getting paid more per day. So they want to work that. So when they're not shooting their films, they're trying to shoot commercials because they're getting paid more per day. So now you did get a action. small role in uh, Boogie Nights where you get to play across Don Cheadle, which must have been fun. At the time. Although he wasn't as big of a name at the time, but his name was definitely rising then. Absolutely. Um, and, but, and he was awesome. Yeah. And so did you think about forcing paul thomas anderson to put you in all of his other movies too as like some kind of <laughs> well we had a, we had conversations about it you know um like you, you could know, have done well in magnolia you could have been like one of the frogs that fell out of the sky or something yeah that's right yeah, that's right <laughs> I, I i i i do a good ribbit but you know <laughs> i you know it's it's a it's a longer story you know um we used to be best friends but you know i think um you know he was in a tough situation you know he's the young filmmaker you know, and you're trying to fill every part with a name or a familiar yeah. face, you know? So he's freaking out on that. So I kind of understand that at the same time, you know, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, make your show your worth and all that, you know? So it's a tough call. You know, I, I see both sides of it. If I had to be play devil's advocate, but, um, uh, meeting the uh, work on you know, doing boogie nights was awesome. You know, because I got to, there were so many great people that came out of that. Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was a really cool guy, and Don Cheadle, who's a craftsman of an actor. So that was really cool. You know, um, by the time, you know, the other movie, you know, we, I think the last time I talked to Paul's when he did, uh, just before he did, um, There Would Be Blood, the last movie that Paul and I were friends was uh, Punk's Drunk Love. And then something happened? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. What'd you call him? What was the name? No, no, no. Him? It wasn't like that. It was just, uh, 
you know, I don't think it was a sum of one part. It was just, it was just a long, you know, it was like, you know, it was a 12 year relationship, you know, and it kind of, you know, went its course, you know, and so just, did you sell him a faulty tarp? <laughs> no, that's right. You know, uh, I don't, I don't really, you know, you don't really know. Sometimes you don't really, you have friendships that they kind of just, it's not one thing, it's multiple things. And we, we still have mutual friends that talk and I, we might talk again, you know, but right now we're not talking. When you Got were on the set of Boogie Nights, did Marky Mark ask you for actor notes? Because I hear the first Jerry Diggler. No, Do you have no, any ideas for did, me? Or? No, he says you did a really great job. And, you know, I, I hope I could do as well as you did. You know, kind of nice stuff, you know, whatever. I Same did notice that uh, Marky Mark did use your uh, karate kicks right. in Boogie Nights that you had originated in the original movie. So right. he should at least give you credit for that. There's a couple There's a couple lines that I improv. Me and... Um, and and the Dirt Diggler story, there's a bodybuilder friend of mine named Eddie Delcor who plays Reed Rothschild, and we improv some stuff. So, in the recording studio, um, I think you better, you know, me arguing to bring up the vocals and bring down the bass, you know, that's improv, you know, that I thought. Oh, actually, I did you do the singing in that? No, I did. People always ask me that. Did you really sing in that in Dirt Diggler story? And no, I, I didn't. It's just really good lip syncing. And I forgot the name of the band. Uh, you got the no. touch. But I, I did it. I was going to say, I'm like, like, your voice is so much better than Marky Mark's was in Boogie Nights. <laughs> Mark really, he really did the, uh, the but the, the real, I, it's some rock band. I forgot who uh, sings yeah. You Got the Touch. You got wow. the touch. You got the power. Are, are you like yeah, doing it, it this It sounds for like him, you smoked Greg? a couple of those cigarettes, Greg. What? <laughs> Yeah, Greg I love, eats uh, the cigarettes. He doesn't just smoke them. Boogie Nights is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's top. You have three. no idea how much I have to prevent him from talking about it, like on a nope, regular. I love Boogie. I think Boogie Nights is actually. Um, I think it's one of Paul's best movies in its master. And I've never seen the Dirk Diggler story. And as soon as we're done with this, I'm getting on YouTube and finding it. <laughs> You're yeah, going to be very disappointed by the video on YouTube. No, right? I know what I'm getting in for. I, <laughs> yeah. I know what I'm signing up for. I got to just hide it for my daughters. My employees sometimes will like, you know, pull it up and be like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> How do big you is your company? That... How many employees do you have? Just about a dozen. Okay. So it's not like a huge. I used, I, well, I used to have like 30, but uh -huh. when you're, you get smarter at business, you, you, you like, you, you don't feel good about having a lot of employees. You want the least amount of employees that you need. Because you you want to you know have better return on investment and better you know bottom line. So are you doing now what you really want to do? What like really feeds your soul? Well, yeah. What I want to do is I've always said you know I want to be an entrepreneur and an actor and stand up comedian. You know, obviously the entrepreneur part you know has been more successful than all you know since I started that business it's made over a hundred million dollars. So. You know, that's the business continues to grow. We are, we want, I want to create a product similar. You guys like Yeti? You know the product Yeti? The uh, microphone. No. Greg does okay. not. Greg doesn't barely knows what Wi Fi oh, is. I, I, a friend has one of those. Now I remember. She's like so a, the actual abominable snowman is what your friend has. A Yeti it's microphone. <laughs> I've heard of them. No, not microphone. Yeti, Yeti is a cooler and they create these cooler, these mugs and they're, 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 like, you know, they, they keep things cool. Like, you know. Oh, gotcha. Sorry so for the confusion there. Yeah, I like think in terms brand. of microphones, because Blue is the name of the company that makes the Yeti microphone. Blue Yeti, yeah. Blue, not to be confused <laughs> with Blue Yeti, but Yeti, the company Yeti, the Yeti Coolers, they're a $2 billion a year company. And they created their company in 2006 with a lifestyle brand with coolers. My concept is like, look, 
we're creating a product right now. Hopefully it will define this uh, industry the same way Yeti defined the cooler. So that's one thing that we're working on. I, just now, as my kids are getting older, I want to, they're like, okay, you know, we don't need so much time because they're going off with their friends like 15, you know, and 13. So now it frees up my time to where I can get back into filmmaking and acting again. And that's what I'm doing. And that's why I did the podcast because I'm getting to that level to where a little bit more time as well. So we just want to like uh, start getting the networking going on again in that industry. We, and it's a different industry now than when you were in it back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, everything's changed now. It's streaming and um, everybody's in a little box now as opposed to on a big screen. Yeah. So welcome to your other little box. And this is why you're <laughs> on our show is to jumpstart his career because this is where all of the big names go first. This is the they, go, they go to law offices that quibble, squabble, and bicker. That's right. Yeah. They come here and then you never hear from them again. We so, launched a lot of stars. That's <laughs> Into space. We're like Ed Greg, Sullivan. Greg, Greg, yeah, Greg is awesome. Do you, you guys promote? You guys post your video on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, this yeah. show does go on. On uh, Greg, on you got to keep the Mohawk. Well, when it gets cold here. He goes through phases. Time, oh, come on, Greg. Take he never shaves team. it all all off. Actually, the Mohawk is relatively new. It's just from a couple months ago. I do it like every year. Once a year, I get in a certain mood, and I'm like, got to do the Mohawk again. And once a year, yeah. I give him a hard time whenever he has the yeah. Mohawk. Because He's embarrassed he, to be seen with me in public. It's not so much that <laughs> as it just cracks me up. I, I just really think it looks like something you shine shoes with. <laughs> All right. We need to quote a line from, uh, okay, you can be you. Uh, and, uh, the, the, the right stuff. <laughs> like Nobody calls me the, by my name. Uh, his name's, my name's not Gus. Or Gus Grissom. <laughs> oh, right. From, uh, okay. You can be Gus. All right. You can, keep, you, can, you, can take, you can get rid of the Mohawk when you want it. Yeah, exactly. But for now, he looks like a pineapple. <laughs> anyway, so that, that actually brings us to the perfect segue for our client for the day. And our client for today is uh, Fruit Equals Betrayal. Now, uh, Michael, at the beginning of this, I said you, you have an option at this stage of the, the show um, where you can do your final plug and talk more about what you want to promote. And you can either stay with us through this client, which will just go for like about another 25 minutes. Or, or you can... Family. Or you can run screaming and spend time with your family. <laughs> I guess I will, I will go um, eat some fruit with the family. And, uh, <laughs> but I will tell you, I do want, I, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You, I, I love your whole vibe. I want, it's too bad I can't meet uh, Mr. Bicker, but I met Quibble and Squabble. <laughs> so that was good. But I, I really appreciate it. it you know, and we'll, we're going to keep in touch. Uh, I got to find you guys on social. But my, uh, the way to get a hold of me and, and to know what we're doing, just go to longshotleaders.com. If anybody has a long shot story, I want to tell those stories. I'm seeking for the ultimate long shot story. That's what we do. We tell a story about people that overcome large obstacles to find success. So if anybody out there, it doesn't have to be monetary success. It could be any kind of like, you know, you survived something or whatever. We've had all kinds of Holocaust survivors. We've had, you know, all kinds of people on the show. What so, about people who have not found success and they've been a long shot? Would you do those as well? I kind of, you know, like all enough, the big those, failures, because Greg brother, might my, be a perfect guest for that. I feel like I, the but, fact that I didn't end up homeless by this point in my life is a success. I thought I would be as a young as a young boy. I thought, yeah, that's my future. Your future was like you were going for homelessness. Being a bum, I didn't want to, but I figured I'm like, there's nothing I can do. Not so, not so much of an arc there, Greg. Yeah, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of an arc. We're just see, just a little bit of an arc. It's all we. Yeah, I, that's right. You would never be the the 
the subject of a film, Greg, but you would be the subject of a documentary. Give me something to work with, Greg. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I know. I got to I gotta punch it up. <laughs> Greg was famous pitch. in um, a couple of bars in Arizona back in the 90s. You were Greg was famous at a couple of bars back in the '90s in Arizona. In, in Arizona, yes, yeah, because he was in a punk band back then. He also was a a, a writer for a comic strip that he created. So I like it. Greg has a lot of interesting stuff in the background, much more than I, me. I have nothing interesting. But in I have nothing but... anymore, though. It's all gone. No, no it's very eclectic <laughs> cool. back there. You know, you right? Is that a refrigerator? Yes. That's yes, a, this is my we're, kitchen. We're in his kitchen. But the, and, the kitchen looks like it's a book room, kind of. Is that spicy? Well, is that oh, his, a spice rack? His apartment a is a comic book um, uh, archive. I put all this bric-a-brac on that spice rack. It's all these goofy toys and shit. But I'm curious about your background, where it seems like those are all re very relevant to you. Like, you have the ceiling. same stuff on your wall that my 80-year-old mother has on her wall. Me? Yeah. <laughs> no, Greg does. Oh, oh yeah. No, <laughs> no Michael, uh, those pictures. pictures. These pictures back here, these multiple pictures, I call this nouns, people, places, and things. And uh, it's a, a combination of influential people and uh, certain things in my life. Like that's one of my biggest nightclubs there. That's uh, it, yeah, it's yeah. a long story. We're, we'll, we'll get into that. You know, one of the greatest places though is uh, the Van Nuys Theater in, in Los Angeles, which is an iconic drive-in movie theater. And then uh, Ben Frank's, which is now long gone, uh, a Brat Pack diner that is on Sunset Boulevard. I used to go to all the time when I did clubs. But there's plenty more pictures there, but that's uh, that's what that's called nouns. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get you back get... on another time sometime in the future because we can't do it in the past. We've never been able to figure that out. Yeah, make a movie, Michael, so we can talk about it. <laughs> well, we're that. doing a documentary right now on that crazy uh, uh, Love Hollywood style because we just found the footage of that and we're doing a concept of, you know, it's, it's called Burning the Boats about choosing passion over opportunity and uh, what happens there. So we got some big names that are going to be in that to people that have burned the boats to, you know, for their passion. Nice. But, uh, that's, we're doing that documentary, but if, you know, as far as just, you know, getting a hold of me, you know, and uh, let you go and do your thing, just go to longshotleaders.com and uh, check us out. And I want to hear of any long shot stories out there. And I uh, thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, sure. No problem. Cool. Thank you for thank being you, on. Michael. We're always surprised when people show up anyway. So thank you for <laughs> oh. that. Oh, you guys <laughs> know being there. Oh, you guys. <laughs> anyway, you. thank you very much, man. Appreciate you being here. That was Michael Stein, everybody. And uh, it still happens to be Michael Stein because he hasn't signed off yet. So it'll continue to be Michael Stein until he's gone. Now he's gone. All right. Now he's not Michael Stein anymore. Back to you and me, Greg. All right. So it's just so you cool. and me. So here we go, everybody. This is our client for the day, which is sad that Brendan's not here because Brendan can certainly take me to task for this particular ideology yeah, because of mine. this isn't really a client it's your personal it is a client it is a client of mine yes i found this client greg that's and what you're this the is only about one fruit no that's not true though i think many people many people can agree with me about this that fruit equals betrayal and here's why this comes from is that i have been betrayed by nearly every fruit imaginable with the potential for being really tasty or good or sweet and you go in to bite it and it lies to you and it's bitter or it's sour or it's grainy or it's banana. nasty banana, banana can do it too banana can be like it's not it's probably the better of the fruits out there so if there's like a hierarchy 
of betrayal. I would say the banana has been the least of the betrayers uh, to me personally. But one of the top betrayers are apples. Apples have betrayed me so many times. And Do you get worms? No. They, you know, have you ever had like a red delicious apple that's maybe past it's ripeness or something or oh, eat fresh fruit you're supposed to eat fruit well how do you know fruit. that it's fresh greg how can you, you tell feel it. You can yeah tell i know but maybe you can't tell by touching the thing you can't tell till you take a bite out of it so you and never there had is the betrayal cookie. what you never had a stale cookie before because you don't realize the cookies were stale and now do you hate cookies just well you know if stale? apples were came in a cellophane wrapped container i would yeah. be less concerned about it because of the fact that it would keep it fresh but you know they they don't come in those containers pineapple comes tell. in a can pineapple comes in a can it's always I don't, delicious i don't eat pineapples from a can it also comes with like a sugar syrup too that's what makes it good that's nice. that's different that's enhancing it with like some artificial yeah, thing where so, it's not the real pineapple it's still fruit though and if you want betrayal from a pineapple damn it try to eat the center of that goddamn thing you want I've full betrayal? Eaten. Eat the well, center of a pineapple. Don't eat the center. That's you probably if you but you did if you didn't know what it was like to eat it, that's where the betrayal comes in. It's like after that you're like you're tentative. You're you're gonna hold back a little bit because this weird thing happened to you where suddenly it was like you're eating tree bark, you know? So I just picture like having you over for dinner, making you the most delicious pork chop. And you're eating the bone and saying, I didn't know. This is terrible. There's the bone in the middle, and I'm trying to eat it. You should know better. It's, it's not the fruit's fault because you don't know not to eat the You can have skin. boneless pork, Greg. You can. But if yes. I did give you a, a pork chop with a bone, and you start not eating it, thinking, well, this right, isn't so, as good. So this doesn't work because of the fact that you know fruit and animals are totally different. So. The fact is, is that if you're going to use that analogy, it would have to be eating a raw pig. That would be the betrayal part of it. No, it wouldn't. And I know what would happen if I was eating a raw pig. You would die. Would <laughs> be one thing. <laughs> yes, get a little case of trichinosis. Maybe get some some uh, some worms of a different sort. Mm -hmm. Maybe have a pig squealing and biting you back. You know, because yeah. of the fact you know, or I guess not a raw pig, but a live pig. Would be the thing. Oh, but I guess, you know, once you pick the, the fruit from the tree, it's no longer live, so to speak. But, yeah, that's the better analogy, Greg. Your analogy with the pork chop, it doesn't work. No, it's not. Because, because you can have different cuts. You can have different cuts of pork. Yeah, but you would be trying to eat the bone. No, you but don't If, if bone, you're, you like, taking a, a full pineapple, you're the one who's got the pineapple. You know to take the stuff off the sides because, you know, well, actually, you try to bite that, you're going to have trouble. You should know that. Yeah. You should. It's point. It's pokey. And, you know, that could hurt being poked yeah. like that. But if you, once you get onto the inside of the pineapple, you think that it's going to be good, right? But then there's the core of the pineapple, which is essentially like eating a plastic straw. You know? Which most people probably know not to eat, just like the bone of a well, pork but chop. Not, but not everybody knows. You, learn well, you, you learn also learn much. eating pork chops with bones. The first time you bite a bone, you learn from that point on that you can't eat the bone. And you learn, too, not to eat the plastic straw center of a <laughs> pineapple. So it was one bad betrayal. And then you should have gotten over it and said, hey, for one, on. For that one particular fruit. But there are many, many fruits out there that betray us. 
Yes. Peaches. Plums. They're delicious. Most of the time. And then they betray you. And then then they ruin your day. That's what they do. They ruin it. And then Just you're like, like, I can't have this again because I will be betrayed again. Strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, all of them, Greg, all of them betray. You, you just don't get it. I don't get it because you need I to get it. It's the truth. If you had a steak and you let it out sit out in the sun for three days and it's blue, and you're like, hey, maybe it's good. I'm gonna try. It's a steak. You'd learn. No, that's when you don't eat a steak. You don't hate steak for the rest of your life. You're like, no, don't eat rancid, desiccated food. That's not the point at all. You can have you can have a blueberry in your fridge for three days and take it out for three days. It's still going to be either a good blueberry or a nasty blueberry, which betrays you. Yeah, well, you should eat fresh blueberries. It's it's, a it's like only eat blueberries off of the plant. Like that's the Not only time you can have a goddamn blueberry. Don't let them sit saying. for six days. Who's time. letting them sit for six days? You Why would you? I'm saying you can do that. You're the one who's doing this whole montage of things that are sitting out on on counters, yeah. <laughs> which has nothing that. to do with fruit betraying you. Fruit betrays you whether it's in the fridge or out of the fridge. It will betray you. Doesn't matter what condition it's in. It will betray yeah, I mean, you. Restaurants betray you. So many times I've ordered something that seems so delicious on the menu, look great, and it tasted like crap. Okay. So I, it doesn't mean I'm never going to eat a restaurant again. It's just well, there might be sucks. a restaurant that you won't eat at again because that particular exactly. restaurant betrayed you. So you don't go to. But that I'm not going to give up food. I'm not going to um, give up that type of food. Like, oh, they made bad pad Thai. Here. No, at, at, at any again. point that I say to give up these foods, did I say well, to give them up? Sounds like you have. They betray you, and you seem very bitter against them. Like you have a vendetta against I'm fruit. bitter because they were bitter. <laughs> I'm bitter because they were bitter to me, Greg. They okay. fooled me, and it's not right. I think all food can be a betrayal, though. Yeah, this but not, not in the percentage that fruit has been. I have not had this form of betrayal with any other food product besides fruit. You need to talk to your therapist about this. You seem <laughs> you, really hurt. You by are this. my therapist, Greg. I guess I am. This is your <laughs> free therapist. This is this how podcast. it is. <laughs> I'm just trying. I know there's people out there who agree with me, and, and somebody's going to go, "Yeah, he's right." You know, and that's really the only person I'm talking to, Greg. It's the person who recognizes this rightness, and well, the fact I, that you are in denial about it just shows why you have that type of hairstyle. I'm being the devil's advocate here, to be honest, everyone. Oh, so listeners. you so you actually believe me? No, I don't. That's it's well, then, idiotic. Then, how reasoning. are you a devil's advocate then? Because You're just the I advocate don't even like fruit that much. I'm such a junk food guy. Like, yeah, pineapple is always tasty. I would never go and say, mm, I need to have some pineapple. I'm out of pineapple. If somebody gives me a can of pineapple, I'm like, that was pretty damn good. But it's not something that I even like enough to buy myself. It's... It's. I like. Fruit you know, you don't really like much to buy yourself because you eat out of dumpsters. Yeah, and I get very cheap food all the time. But right, I you don't really like pineapple. splurge for yourself. You don't treat yourself great. When I do splurge, it's not going to be on a pineapple or delicious apples. You know what I mean? I like them, but I'm not a huge fan of fruit. I bear. I never buy it. Well, a if delicious I, apple is much different than one that betrays you. I like I like that was my apple of choice growing oh, up. You're I like about delicious. The, the red delicious. That's yeah. that's what they're called. I, I like those. They're not they're just those... called delicious. It's red delicious. There's an additional adjective wants. there. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, my mom just called Midlist Sapless. She never had to feel the need to add another word to it like you but did. That's what they're called. It's yeah, not adding and, another word when the word is already there. So, yeah, but she didn't have a lot of time. She's busy raising four kids. <laughs> she so had a she lot had of time to use the word red. Yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> she, could, she could make it out of, out of time. <laughs> It was a nickname <laughs> for Red Delicious. She called no, it's, it delicious. it's the type of apple that it's called. I know, but everyone knows when you say delicious what it is. It's not a green No, delicious. they don't. You can just or say that it delicious. sounds like a good apple. You're saying it's a delicious apple. But when you say it's a Red Delicious apple, you know that's the kind of apple that it is. My grocery store just said delicious. <laughs> you, you've heard of the Granny store. Smith apples, right? Yes. All right, well, take the granny off of that. Then you have Smith apples. What do you think people are going to be calling I bet a, an apple aficionado would know what that meant, a Smith. They'd be like, yeah, it's not a John Smith. It's not a... It's it's obviously he's talking about a Granny Smith apple. Yeah, but that's the name, so you call it a Granny Smith apple. Sure. Yeah, sure, exactly. But people understand if you say now Smith. language is betraying you is what the problem is here, Greg. It's not you are betraying language. <laughs> no, you're betraying meaning. I'm betraying language, but you're betraying, betraying common sense <laughs> that people can't figure out a delicious apple. When you say, well, oh, when you say it's a delicious that? apple, it doesn't sound like a type of apple. It sounds like somebody really liked it. the apple, you twit. I get it. But if somebody says, what type of apple is that? And you say delicious, it's like, okay. No, it still doesn't joke. come across as the type of apple. It sounds like you're just being facetious and going, I really like that apple. It could be, but not many It's like a tasty apple. I call it tasty us. apple, too. That's the there type of apple. Is a taste. No, it's red tasty apple. <laughs> That's the proper name. Red tasty <laughs> But anyway, but what about a durian? What do you think about that? that? That's the one that smells like baby diapers, right? No, I think it smells like corpses. From, yeah, it smells horrible. Yeah, so that's but a it, general betrayal in, in and of itself. But doesn't it taste good, though? People like it. Some people do, yes. But for I the most part, so people who opposite. try it actually hate it. So It's the opposite of a betrayal in a way because it smells like hell on earth. And yet some people think it tastes heavenly i don't think anybody thinks it tastes heavenly i don't think i've ever heard it described as heavenly even from people who eat it i don't think they call it heavenly it's more like an acquired taste it's kind of like people who eat caviar right so many people will go you're eating fish eggs what the hell whereas people who like caviar will go this is amazing this is totally enjoyable so that i think is more like an acquired taste type of thing with durian but if you're thinking durian's a fruit and you've never had durian before Never have. Never smoked it either. I'm just saying a person in general who doesn't really know anything about it. They've just been told this is a fruit. A lot of people like it. You should try it. That would be like the ultimate betrayal is them going, what have you done to me? What? How, how can this be? You're making me eat dead bodies. This is not okay. I think durian is the most forthright of all the fruits because it actually it's, lets you know by its odor. It's like, no, you're getting into some gaming territory here. Let, I'm letting you know. I'm smelling like this. It's got the highest integrity of all fruit is what you're yes, saying. Yes, it does. It's very. Um, it's it's not duplicitous like the other fruits. <laughs> well, at least you agree with me that those other fruits are duplicitous. That's good no, to I'm know. Just, I'm glad I'm you just, finally have come on my side about this. Hallelujah. I'm just go. I'm not. I'm just going along with your. No, no. Insane. I will accept. I will accept your concession. To you know this they tell you client. when someone's acting insane, you're supposed to go along with it. Like, yes, the Martians are out to get you, Matt. It's okay. 
Yeah, it's called nice backtracking, Greg. You can't you can't get away from it. No, that's that. what I was doing. I was doing you think going so. along with a crazy person so I'd... they wouldn't get violent. Because <laughs> that's where I was heading. I was heading towards violence. I, I don't know. You never know with people like you. <laughs> people like me. What? How would you d- describe people like me, Greg? <laughs> Touched in the head a little. I'm going to get a mohawk now. Actually, I could never get a mohawk now with my hair receding as much as it is. Because you can see right here, it's like, it's going bald right here. You could have the anti-mohawk, just two strips on either side. That's my hair betraying me now. Like, once I had hair, and now it's not as much. So, there's an addition. I want my hair to betray me because I like shaving my head almost all the time. I'll miss it in winter when I'm cold. But, um... Have you ever gone fully bald? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've okay. shaved my head many times, yeah. Okay. That was my hair style of choice when I lived in Arizona, which was kind yeah. of dumb because the sun would be giving me sunburn right. on my skull. But I always liked having no hair. Oh, never shaved my head. I've never really done much for uh, my hair other than yeah. let it grow and then cut it. That's pretty much Because you were a prog rocker, and I was a punk rocker. <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? I wasn't a rocker at all. I didn't play. I wasn't in a band. No, but you were in that scene. You liked it. I well, I like lots of things, except fruit. Fruit betrays you. Fruit. Betrays. You see, you now you're admitting it. You don't. Let, you have this thing against fruit just because it betrayed you a few times. Yeah, it, it's right. I have a problem with fruit betraying me. I would like it not to. I've eaten it plenty of times, obviously, to know that it betrays me more often. Haven't than girlfriends not. ever betrayed you? Have you given up women? I don't think I've ever had a girlfriend betray me. I don't know what I would consider betrayal whenever it comes to a girlfriend. Well, in the same sense of fruit where, oh, I thought I was getting this, and then I get that. I don't think I've ever gone into a relationship with a lot of expectations. Oh. You know, it's more like, let's see how this turns out type of thing, which I don't want in my food. My food, I want to be relatively standard and to conform to things that, you know, of tastiness. Whereas with humans... You never know what you're going to get. Like uh, Forrest Gump says, they're like a box of chocolates. Sometimes they have a crunchy frog inside of them. Yeah, that's, that's my... what Forrest Gump said when he was on Monty Python that time. Yeah. <laughs> I had to like, you know, combine. When he was a guest. <laughs> but I, I've, had, I've met Wait, you said Freud was a guest on Monty Python? I think there is a Python No, skit Forrest with... Gump. Oh, I Forrest said. Gump. I thought he said Freud. Yeah, but when um I've met women that I've known for years, even before. Wait a second, you've met women that you've known for years? That doesn't even well, make any sense. Well, after a while, I met them, and, and then, then you knew them for passed, years, <laughs> and I ended up knowing them for years, and then we started dating, and all of a sudden, that red delicious apple had worms and a tarantula inside of it, and I it was like, wait, I never saw any of this side of this fruit. And oh, someone's gonna say I'm really sexist for saying a woman's a piece of fruit now. I'm yeah, sure. we don't get any um, audience comments, Greg. Nobody's gonna true. say anything except for maybe your sister might say something. So to me, women are just a piece of fruit <laughs> that sometimes they look all tasty and then they betray you. So for then, you, women are betrayal. No, but they have as far as what what you consider betrayal. Where I yeah. thought she seems so like this. And then you start dating for a few months, and it's like, what? what where did this personality trait come from? I never saw I think this. I just never, um, I, I, yeah, I don't think I ever experienced that, you know? 
I never experienced somebody being horrific to me. You know, I've, I've experienced uh, personality traits that maybe that didn't mesh with mine, but I didn't experience yeah. like really bad behavior per se. You yeah. know, but you yeah, know, I yeah, I mean, I had I've had many long term relationships, and that's probably why. Yeah. You know, well, at so. first though, did it, did it turn out where like oh they seem like this, and then you realize oh, they're not exactly that. They've got other sides that maybe aren't the best. I think I'm and, not that naive, Greg. I'm not that naive to think that they don't have a it's bad side to them. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying a bad side. Naive. I'm saying oh, like complete, like you couldn't even see a gleaming from meeting them and knowing them for months. That oh, it's going to turn into this. What did I never saw them talk like that? I never saw them be that mean spirited. I've had, I did. I met a woman, and she kind of basically just said, "Okay, we're dating now," and and she, <laughs> she just for the told you we're months, dating. For and you went, okay, okay, I'm not naive. No, we had sex. We had sex. And <laughs> I, I I'm glad you lot. did at some point. I wanted to date her, uh, you know, but, you know, I didn't want to be the guy who's all like, oh, we had sex once and I love you and scare away. But then she was like, oh, you're my boyfriend now. Obviously, we had sex and we we're hanging out. So, you know, that's that's the way it is. Oh, so, and the first... so the issue is essentially that she's running your life because you were. No, I was glad though. I manipulated. Just it was she wasn't manipulating me. I was really in her. Like I was like totally enamored of her. You're having sex, then you were definitely in her. No, it's the chemistry was amazing, and then I was really enamored of her personality. And she was uh -huh. really smart and funny. And then after three months of dating, she just became this like she'd be mean to me all the time. I never saw that side again. It was like uh -huh. she just became this. I, I didn't. I don't think that's naive. I I had no idea. Like. It's not like other girlfriends have done that to me. Like, oh, they all become mean. Okay. But sometimes, like a, a delicious apple, a red, red delicious, delicious apple. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That it's surprising. It's like shit. I, so she I would turn idea. psycho on you, but so no, what do you attribute psycho. that to? Not psycho, just mean. And I think it was basically just because she was disappointed in what a crappy boyfriend I was probably. And was like, <laughs> so maybe she was betrayed by you. And that's what I, I'm sure she that. felt that way. She I'm was sure like, she he was seems like, like this really nice guy. And I think we could have a future together. And I found out that the whole burger flipping thing really is the uh, extent exactly. of his ambition. And this is, he, there's nowhere else to go. And then she turned me in to basically drive you away. Possibly. I think so. Did it, did it work? Well, she broke up with me after like a year or two, and then I was like, yeah, I get it, because this isn't fun for me. Wait, 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 just... wait, hold on. Let's back up a second. So you said after three months, she was mean to you, yeah. but you stayed together for another year. Yeah, I was crazy about her. It was pretty, um, what's the word, codependent or weird? Like, she wasn't very nice, but I, I was so in love with this Or masochistic, woman. possibly? I never was like that before. In my 40s, I meet this woman, and for the first time, I'm like... I just love this woman so much. I find, like, I, I understood um, pop lyrics for the first time in my life. Those sappy <laughs> lyrics. I was like, oh, that's what love's supposed to feel like. That dopey. Uh, you you know, should have like, listened to Tina Turner, Greg. I know. What's I love got to right. do with it? What, or listen what's, to what's it got to do with bread it? Bread. <laughs> Baby, I'm a want you? <laughs> well, not, not that one. <laughs> but I should have yep. listened to sad, like, Janice Ian songs or something. But, um... So at 17 and then, and then we ended up staying <laughs> together. Like, even though we weren't technically dating, 
we still basically had sex all the time and we hung out every day for another three years after that. So it was almost like she just didn't want to be hitched to my star, to my wagon. Your, your star? The, wagon my hitched to my more wagon more. heading towards the star. Is that the phrase? Uh, wagons don't actually go into the sky unless yeah. you throw They're, them. Like if you put them on a trebuchet, then your wagon could head to the stars, but there's an arc and it's going to fall to the ground and crash and shatter. No, this this wagon is on a starship, obviously, a generational starship, and <laughs> that can reach another star. <laughs> your mind is a generational starship. <laughs> Thank, that sounds like a compliment, actually. It's taking the world into the future, my mind. It is. It is, Greg, even though yeah. you, at least you could recognize that fruit is betrayal, though. So I'm glad that we've been able to give our client um, sufficient cause for truth and justice in the American way today. I'm really worried because I'm out of sake and I don't know what to do. You, you, well, obviously you need to lick the bottle. I thought that uh, someone had... <laughs> look, all of you out there whose uh, like ambitions are to be homeless... That is what you'll look like in 30 years if you're 20 years old currently. I still have a home, a very beautifully decorated home, as you can see. Yeah. I mean, our, our guests noticed it, too. Yeah. You notice the stuff on your walls. But, yeah, my mother used to have, like, one of those uh, little bric-a-brac things on the wall where she kept yeah, her yeah. strange little objects. Hummel figurines. I, you know, it could be any type of figurine that you want. What's a, Is a Hummel figurine something in particular? Yeah, they're, they're like all grandmas love those. Those cute little like porcelain. Oh, okay. Like cute little kids. Or well, she's not my grandmother, so I oh. don't call her that. I call her my mother, but she's yeah. certainly a grandmother to my children. But I mean, I have vanilla ice gum up there in the shape of the cassette. I have just all these random things I've gathered since I was vanilla 10. ice gum in the shape of a cassette. Yeah, there was this company that made little. Um, they look like little cassettes this big, and they had gum in them, and then the cover looked like it would be a rock star. It would be MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice, whoever was big in 1989 or something. Vanilla Ice is his own form of betrayal. So I should eat the gum right now. I could probably get a buzz from that gum. <laughs> it would probably, probably do something. Well fermented or really hard on the teeth. Yeah, it would, I could suck on them. And, it might be a little, a little dense for chewing purposes. Yeah. All right, well, I think we've come to the end of this particular episode so yeah. i want to thank everybody who's stuck around to listen to us just go off on tangents here at the very hey, everyone, end fruit is good don't fruit listen to that fruit is a betrayal. good thing you yeah, can still eat good. fruit i'm not telling anybody not to eat fruit i just want I everyone to, this is like a public service announcement you should know that fruit will betray you at one point if it hasn't already and it probably has you probably have been betrayed by fruit at this point in your lives people so you all know i'm speaking sooth and it is sooth is. But that has been our client for today. I want to thank Michael Stein, who was on earlier. He was quite an interesting fellow with the uh, the podcast Longshot Leaders. And uh, if you want a tarp, where if you're a serial killer out there and you need something to wrap somebody up in, buy them from him, too. This has been, once again, the law offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker. And uh, hopefully Brendan will be back next week. We'll see. Bye. Your consultation with the law offices of Quiddle, Squabble, and Picker has ended. You may pay your retainer at www.qsblaw.org. Please exit to the right of the water cooler and grab a candy from the front desk. We hope to see you again soon, but you need to leave now. I said leave. Why don't they ever listen? Get out! Get out! <laughs>